Welcome to Green Talk, a podcast by Green Farmers of Ontario. This is Megan McKimmy. And I'm Rachel Telford. Today is July 27th, and here are your grain headlines for this week. So wheat harvest is underway across the province. Um, We're about one week to 10 days ahead of where we were uh, this time last year. And our results for the Ontario Wheat Harvest Quality Program have come in. Uh, We partnered with uh, SGS Canada and the Grains Analytical Testing Laboratory for these results. Um, And it gives us a picture for quality of each year's harvest. So we received 73 samples from Southwest Region um, last week, and they were the most of them were soft red winter wheat. Uh, and the early results are showing that protein is much higher than last year at about 9.9%. Um, and samples show a slightly higher test weight as well. There's not a lot of fusarium uh, showing up due to the dry weather, so um, quality looks good for all classes of wheat, wheat this year. The University of Guelph, uh, which wants to be known as Canada's Food University, they did a lot of hiring over the winter. They had several positions open, um, especially some research chairs in the departments of agri-food and plant agriculture. And recently they've announced that some of those positions have been filled. Of note for grain farmers, Joshua Nasilski will be joining the Department of Plant Agriculture as the Maxon Professorship for Northern and Eastern Ontario Agronomy. Um, So we're hoping that uh, he's going to be doing some research in the north, in particular about um, the nitrogen use efficiency in corn. And he's going to be taking up that position in April of 2019. The other position that we wanted to make our farmers aware about is the professorship in precision agriculture in the plant agriculture department as well. Um, Dr. John Stollock began that position in late May, and some of the research staff here at Grain Farmers of Ontario have already started talking with Dr. Stollock about some of the ways that uh, we can work with him uh, on different projects. Um, Dr. Stollock has a background in remote sensing, and he comes from industry where they've developed the different uh, cameras for unmanned aerial systems. So hopefully some of that technology can be put to good use for research for our farmer members. And uh, last week, the Federal Provincial Territorial Agriculture Ministers meeting occurred. And you might have heard about this a few times. We mentioned that we wanted the new agriculture minister uh, to sort of be a champion for the Ontario grain sector in some of our election asks. Um, So Ernie Hardiman, the new uh, Ontario Minister of Agriculture, was present for that. Um, And he did a good job of representing the interests of grain farmers, um, focusing on the BRM and other global trade issues. So uh, Grain Farmers of Ontario wants to thank him for uh, taking the the time to consult in advance on Ontario agriculture and what grain farmers are looking for across the province. Coming up next on the podcast, we have an in-depth interview with Albert Tenuta, who's the Amafa field crop plant pathologist, talking about some of the diseases uh, that are out there this summer and also soybean cyst nematode. We are here with Albert Tenuta, a field crop plant pathologist with Amafra, and you are joining us down from New Mexico today. So I just wanted to say a quick thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Albert. No, thank you very much, and uh, I miss home and 105-plus humidity down here today. (laughs) Definitely not a day that you'd want to be out in the field, so it's good that you're at a conference today. Can we start off, Albert, by perhaps having you talk a little bit about what your job entails and explain for us what is a field crop plant pathologist? Well, my job is basically I am the field crop plant disease doctor for the province, and uh, so as the extension side, 
um, entails. I, I deal with uh, lots of uh, growers, um, ag retailers, CCAs, um, our extension staff in Ontario, as well as in other provinces and uh, the U.S. as well. So yeah, I have a strong network in terms of researchers in that. So my goal or as a field crop extension pathologist is to increase awareness of different diseases and more importantly how to manage them and how to reduce their losses so that we can increase our sustainability of our ag sector in Ontario. And you've been with AMAFRA, uh, I think I have down here since 1991. Um, how, has, uh, how did you get into that job and what was your background and interest in uh, plant pathology, I guess? Yeah, no, it's, it came around a, an odd way. I am originally from Toronto, um, city boy, who went to school at the University of Toronto, so not at the University of Guelph, bad as most of my colleagues and friends would be, but uh, came through, um, you know, through the big city there. Um, got into University of Toronto, um, was into mycology, fell in love with mycology and plant pathology and had an undergrad degree in plant pathology and uh, just started to fall in love with that whole field and had some great professors and uh, supervisors in grad school there at U of T and uh, it just spun from there. So city boy to the, to the country and it's been a great, great transition. So why plant diseases, Albert? I mean, I think of diseases on plants, and some of them are pretty gross. It's not something I'd want to do, but what is it about those diseases that intrigues you and, and keeps you, I guess, day-to-day interested? Oh, they're never gross. They're just uh, <laughs> they're opportunists. They are a great group of organisms that have the ability to survive under really odd conditions, you know, harsh conditions, favorable conditions, uh, they're just their adaptability is, is, is just fascinating and uh, it's it's a great area to, to study there's there's challenges every day no one day is the same you know I could go I'm gonna plan my day at six seven in the morning and uh, not get to anything I planned until till later in the afternoon or, or not at all uh, just because of how things can change quite quickly and uh, they can just they, they just have this ability to, 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 to infect and, and develop and change. And, uh, and that is just, just fascinating, the whole process by which they go about uh, living and, uh, and surviving. Now, Albert, you're in New Mexico for a conference, and you've also been doing Southwest Crop Diagnostic Days recently, as well as some other field days. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of those activities that you've been doing recently? Yeah, so, uh, for instance, we're down here at the uh, Society of Nematology meetings, and uh, I will be presenting uh, some of our work from on, on Ontario in terms of uh, soybean sows nematode management. Also, uh, I'm one of uh, the group leaders in terms of uh, a new initiative called the Soybean Sows Nematode Coalition, and so I will be uh, introducing that whole Sows Nematode Coalition and all the partners and, and, the, and what's behind it to the nematology society and community in 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 North America, and that so we we deal a lot with um, you know not only our our stakeholders and researchers or extension staff in in Ontario, but uh, one of the, the, the 
fun job parts of my job is the ability to interact with others in other uh, provinces as well as into uh, the U.S. and that. And, and so those are, are key, uh, key initiatives, I think, and uh, key parts to, to my job, um, those, those key initiatives like the coalition, as well as some of the fun stuff that we're doing in the province there. As you just mentioned, uh, we just finished the Southwest Prop Diagnostic Days a few weeks ago, and this is the 24th uh, running of it, and it was, uh, again, a huge success. We had over 400 um, ag retailers, ag business, CCAs, consultants uh, through the sessions. It's a hands-on uh, training session. It was hot, I must say. It was hot, so uh, that Hotter really uh, set us up and uh, got me acclimatized to this weather down here in New Mexico and that. But, um, you know, even though it was um, as hot as it was and everybody was, you know, appreciative, all the comments have been positive for it, and um, and even at, at the end of the day, after 10 sessions, both speakers and attendees were uh, were quite upbeat and um, really enjoyed it. And it, it, again, it's another one of these um, initiatives that are are fun to deliver. It takes a lot of work, but it, it's great. And you know, it's just part of what the OMAF or Field Crop team does on, on those because we have sister um, events in Alora, the Farm Smart ones, as well as we just came back from last Thursday in Winchester with the Eastern Ontario Crops Day. So the, these events are across the province, and uh, and we bring in people even from Quebec. We have some from Michigan and that into uh, this, as well as, uh, you know, our Southwest Crop, our, our Southwest Ag Conference is another big event that, that we do. So that is uh, some of the fun stuff. Um, we do a lot of field work, but, uh, you know, doing these big events and, uh, and that are, are just fabulous and, and also a lot of fun to do. And Albert, you mentioned um, the Soybean Cis Nematode uh, Coalition that you're part of, and I know that's been around for a little bit. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit more about what that is and your involvement in that coalition? Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Uh, Cis Nematode Co- Coalition, this one is, uh, you know, we can call it uh, round two. Um, <laughs> one of the advantages to being around for for 27 plus years now is sometimes things come around and uh, in the mid-1990s, we saw soybean cyst nematode increase in, in, in North America as well as Ontario. It was first identified in Ontario in 1988, and uh, one of the issues back then was uh, increase, you know, increase in grower awareness and industry awareness of, of the potential problem, and because uh, yields were being impacted significantly, in some cases 50% or, or more in many growers' fields in southwestern Ontario, and so part of uh, what we were seeing, others were seeing in other parts of the Midwest, for instance. And so working together, we, we pooled our resources and efforts into uh, the initial Soybean Cyst Nematode Coalition so that we were all on the same page delivering very similar information and not duplicating uh, our efforts in that so that we can ma- maximize our effectiveness, but also efficiencies and, and that. And uh, one of the key um, parts of that, and you know, I do a crop protection network. There's there's other um, um, coalition type uh, projects that we do. These regional projects that um, you know, one of the things I love to say is one voice, one message. And so today, growers and industry folks and that, and myself, 
and probably you guys as well. We're always looking for information, and it's no longer just in Ontario. It goes beyond that. And so if we have a consistency in our message, um, the better, and so that there's less confusion and uh, ultimately better management of many of these important diseases, such as cyst nematodes. So uh, we started seeing over the past 10 years or so an adaptation to those very successful um, management practices that were put, first put in with the initial cyst nematode coalition, which was get growers out there scouting, testing their fields. Our big model back then was take the test, beat the pest. It was very successful along those, and we increased uh, adoption of, of utilization of soybean cyst nematode resistant varieties, and they have been extremely successful in minimizing um, yield loss and returning growers. Um, yields and, and ultimately dollars back to their to, to their operations by using these resistant varieties. But as I mentioned earlier, one of the great fascinating things about uh, pathogens and that is their ability to adapt. No matter how how successful we are, they always seem to figure out a way to to come back and uh, and um, beat us. Um, our, our our strategies one way or another. And in the case of uh, Soybean cyst nematodes, the cyst nematode resistant varieties have been so successful that the, the nematode has been able to adapt to, to it, in particular to our main source of resistance, which is this PI88788 source of resistance, so, so that now we're starting to see populations build up in the, in the U.S., Midwest, particularly first in the states like Missouri, Tennessee, Illinois, Iowa. And then most recently, we're starting to see it also start to increase in Ontario. And so um, this new adaptation um, or more aggressiveness, more virulence, more ability to cause disease by SCN on these resistant varieties is, is, is a concern. Um, so nematode continues to spread. And in Ontario, we're seeing in eastern Ontario, into Quebec a couple of years ago, into new areas of the U.S. and the upper Great Plains like the Dakotas. And that, uh, this resistance gene, the 88788, is, is, is um, not performing as well as it used to be in terms of some of those locations in the state. In Ontario, it's still very effective and it's still a critical component to our uh, SCN, uh, IPM management strategies, but we're limited to uh, very few resistant sources, this 88 88788, as well as the Peking. So Peking is only about 5% of the varieties available to growers. 88788 is in 95% as well. And so that was one of the challenges and one of the needs because we're starting to see the FCN develop um, this, these new adaptive populations, and we're starting to see some yield losses. And hence, so we thought the, bringing back the FCN coalition with, with researchers, uh, grower groups like North Central Soybean Research Program, the, uh, the United Soybean Board, and the GFO have all been supportive in other state boards, as well as many of our industry partners, both seed and chemical companies involved, getting all the stakeholders to get, uh, together again to, to have that unified message, you know, that one voice, one message again. And, uh, and we're back uh, for, uh, for round two with the Nematode Coalition. Albert, has there been some differences identified in terms of maybe the management techniques that we're doing here in Ontario that uh, the, our U.S. counterparts can learn from and perhaps vice versa? Yeah, that's one of the, the advantages to, to working cooperatively in many of these projects is that we get to learn 
from each other and uh, and you know see what's worked elsewhere and and that's one of our goals from an omafra field crop or just an omafra extension is to to take um, successful programs or strategies from um, other areas of the world to learn from them. And hence, that's one of the reasons for being down here in New Mexico as well, is to, to learn on, uh, of what others have uh, been doing on, the, on, on nematodes, you know, not only cyst nematodes, but corn, um, the root lesion nematodes and others, and, and taking that information and uh, seeing if what is applicable to Ontario and um, then validating it for us. And, and so that, I think, makes us stronger makes us more resilient and uh, makes us better to, to, to meet future challenges um, when it comes to, to our ag sector and, and that because it's, you know, it's not a, stat, a static system. It's always changing and evolving. And so, for instance, um, for Ontario, we are seeing these new populations develop that can reproduce on that 88788, as I mentioned, but it's at a slower pace than maybe what we see in the Midwest U.S., um, where some states, um, if you look at areas such as uh, Tennessee, um, Missouri, um, some uh, southern Illinois, even Michigan, and that, um, where 90 to uh, you know 80 to 90 percent of the SCN in those fields have this new adapted population, elevated reproduction on that 88788, and, and they are the majority of the SCN population in those fields. In Ontario, we might see about a third of our fields, about 33% of them have this new adaptive population, and then work with uh, my good friend and colleague out of Agriculture Agri-Food Canada, Tom, Tom Wallacki, who has been doing a lot of our SCN typing in the province. You know, our numbers there, reproduction, are only about 15% overall, so 85% of the nem- SCN nematodes in Ontario are still controlled very effectively by the 88788. And, um, and that, but in the south, southwestern Ontario, where we've had the longest nematode um, history, we are seeing those populations start to rise. And uh, over the past couple of years, we've seen um, much more injury in, in some cyst fields, um, very typical of what I would have seen 25 years ago. And uh, this year, under these hot, dry conditions, I've already been out to five or six fields um, where cyst nematode damage on those resistant varieties is, um, is very significant. And, uh, and that's one of the, the keys and one of the keys messages of the whole this nematode coalition and one of the things I've been focusing or, or stressing over the years is that growers need to be out there scouting fields for disease in general, but uh, for in the case of soybeans, this nematode before you start seeing any visual symptoms. By the time you see those stunted yellow, browning, um, dead plants, necrotic plants, you know, they can look like nutrient deficiencies, uh, soil issues, compaction, herbicide injury, all of these things can mimic a cis nematode um, injury, and that's why it, it's often not um, the first thing that comes to mind in that. Um, but we are seeing injury very similar to what I saw way back when when we had susceptible varieties. And, of course, that's a concern, and hence that's one of the reasons for the, the coming back of the Cisnematode Coalition. And so, Albert, just to sum up, I guess, for our farmer members, um, some action items for them would be to scout their fields, make sure they're planting those resistant varieties, and then also practicing good crop rotation? Yeah. So those are all 
important management um, strategies there, particularly um, the, you know the, the use of the resistant varieties, uh, both the 8788 source of resistance and the Peking. Um, varieties are important uh, to rotate those, but it's really important. And this, I think, is one of the um, um, you know, to help answer part of your, your question previously in terms of some of our differences there is uh, in Ontario, we've been really, really pushing and stressing for growers not to grow the same resistant variety uh, over time and, and just always rotate your SCN resistant varieties. And, um, and that, I think, has been one of the reasons uh, that we've been able to, you know, keep our populations a little down or a little slower to develop than what we've seen in some of our U.S colleague states, um, our registration system that we had or our, our development system of, of variety naming in that means um, one name, one genetic source. We don't have a branding system in, in Ontario. In the U.S., they, they can um, have the same source, uh, same genetics or same variety, but brand it or name it after uh, many different names. And so ultimately, the producer um, in that case may be growing a different variety, but it might be in the same genetics. And so from the nematode perspective, it, it sees it as the same, uh, the same plant and it's able to reproduce and build on it. Whereas in Ontario, we don't have that because of our, our system in terms of one variety, one, one name, and that. So that definitely has helped out there. So uh, not using the same resistant variety, rotating your 88788 and Peking is, is, is critical to it. We also have maybe a more diverse crop rotation system than what we see in maybe Iowa and some of the Midwest states where it's more of a corn soybean focus. Here we have, um, you know, we have producers that are on a two crop corn soybean rotation, but, you know, in many cases, uh, in wheat in that rotation, very typical corn soybean wheat rotation for many of our field crop producers. And in, in other parts, we have um, vegetable uh, cover crops, um, um, forages, etc., in the rotation. So more diverse the, the 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 crop sequence or the number of crops in there, the better in terms of uh, reducing the cyst nematode potential for for development and and that as well. And then, as you said, you mentioned the scouting. That is still one of the most important things to producers to do. Um, not only to identify if they've got cis nematode, but also to, to know what their numbers are. And as I mentioned, one of the key um, messages of the whole SCN coalition is take the test, beat the test, know your numbers. And that's important. What's the field population there? Um, because that will give you an indication of whether all these management, the resistant varieties, the non-host crops are doing their job. If your numbers are decreasing in that field, then you know it's, it's, everything's going the way it should be intended to do. But if numbers are increasing, then that more than likely is indicating that there is a change in that population in the field, and we need to, to address that as, as quickly as possible as well. So scouting, identifying, and uh, for new areas, eastern Ontario, into Quebec, central Ontario, one of the most important things is just to get out there and, and sample those fields. Dig up those plants right now. Always have a shovel. Dig up those plants. Look at um, the roots and um, and look for those really fine soybean cis nematode uh, cysts on there. They're about the size of a pinhead, so in many cases they're uh, either not seen because uh, you're not looking that fine for for them, or if you're pulling plants out, you end up leaving a lot of the cysts in, in the ground. And so just um, just digging, scouting, 
and and soil testing are, are is another key management tool. And then we've got some a new um, tool in the toolbox is the seed treatment nematicides that have um, started to to come to market in on Ontario and in the U.S. Um, these are another tool. Uh, one thing to to remember on them when it comes to seed treatment nematicides, they are not a silver bullet. And I think some growers that I've talked to uh, equate these nematicides with resistance to the same level of uh, protection that they would get with a, a resistant 88788 or a Peking variety. And that's not the case um, when it comes to these nematicides. Uh, they, are, they are a new tool. They are very effective, can be effective in our management, but on their own, um, they're not, uh, they do not equate to, to resistance. So they need to be uh, utilized in uh, appropriate managing. You'll notice that most of the companies will be um, recommending that they're on a, a tolerant or resistant variety and where we've got, you know, moderate cyst pressure in that as well. So we've got all kinds of new, we've got new um, tools, we've got challenges for cyst nematode, and we just, you know, one of the important things is to increase that grower awareness and um, and initiate uh, an effective SEM management practice. And uh, Albert, what other diseases are you seeing uh, across the province that might be a concern for farmers in the field this year? Well, the hot, dry conditions we've had made it kind of boring from a plant pathologist standpoint this year, which, you know, for me, being bored is a good thing for, for producers and, and that in that uh, we're not seeing uh, a lot of disease out there so far which is uh, a benefit we saw, you know, we just took off wheat and we're continuing to take wheat off across the province. And uh, the wheat that's been coming in has been uh, from a quality standpoint, from a, either a, a disease standpoint, um, a fusarium standpoint, a mycotoxin standpoint has been uh, very good. And that's again, um, a result of the um, conditions have been not favorable for for things like stripe rust or, or fusarium headlight, some of those wheat diseases that we've seen um, develop over the, the past couple of years in that. Um, on the soybean side, um, sudden death syndrome, though, has really enjoyed these hot, dry conditions. It likes those cool, wet conditions early and then follow that up with hot and dry. We'll start seeing some fusarium wilt as well. It looks a lot like SDS where you have that uh, yellowing, browning of the leaves between the veins, but with uh, fusarium wilt, you'll get a sudden dying of that plant. The leaves will stay attached, and you'll have um, the leaves will will just wither uh, wither away on those. And um, you know, we get asked. I don't know how many times I've been asked over the past two or three weeks about uh, about white mold and soybeans as well. Um, the conditions that we have had have not been ideal for for white mold. Um, but again, every year we end up having little pockets of white mold across the provinces. Again, adaptability, how these uh, pathogens, even under harsh conditions, are still able to, to, to do what they do, and, and that's caused disease. And so I think, you know, with white mold, we should see um, less instances across or severity across the province. Um, but again, you know, growers need to be vigilant and uh, aware of it because things could change quite quickly if things temperatures and environmental conditions became uh, cooler and uh, moist conditions and things could um, increase um, with that um, as well. And on the corn side, uh, we're seeing not a lot out there, which is a good thing. Um, we, in our inocu- we inoculate a lot of trials. Um, we do, we've been working on um, 
a northern corn leaf blight and uh, disease survey through funding through uh, the Grain Farmers of Ontario and, and GF2 over you know, a number of years. And we've seen a steady increase in many um, diseases such as northern corn leaf blight you know, rust, gray leaf spot across the province and that. Uh, but this year, the hot, dry conditions have been, um, um, you know, made it slow for many of these diseases to develop, which is good. A good example is our northern corn leaf blight uh, inoculated trials. Normally, we'd start seeing disease, you know, a week to 10 days after inoculation. This week, you know, just assessing them on, on Friday. And uh, it took about two and a half to three weeks before we started seeing um lesions uh, forming on those leaves, which is a good thing. The later disease develops, the, the less impact uh, potentially on, on yield in that. So um, we're not out of the woods yet in terms of disease, but things are setting up to be a, maybe a lower disease year. The one concern I do have on the corn side of things is when we have these hot, dry stress years, we end up with, um, you know, ultimately we're going to get the rains back into, um, you know, late July, um, early August. And that, and then we end up with some of those later season uh, leaf diseases. And when we get those, we often will end up with a stress plant. The diseases maybe take hold a little bit more. We end up seeing more leaf diseases, and that results in maybe potential for increased stock rot and possibly some ear molds, but stock rot and leaf diseases late in the season. So growers should always be out scouting their fields, looking for what diseases are present, because that information can help you now. And even more importantly, can help you next year or down the road. So, Albert, if we're looking for some resources for farmers and some tips where they can have some disease management uh, help, um, what can you recommend that farmers check out? Yeah, there's a number of different um, resources available. Um, you know, the GFO website is, is a good one that has a lot of uh, research projects and that that are, are funded through through the GFO. Um, and, and that as well as, as some of the links to many of the other uh, resources out there. Some of those are, you know, the, the SysNematodeCoalition.com website for, for um, SCM. Um, another initiative that's uh, been funded through the Grain Farmers of Ontario is what I, what's called the Crop Protection Network. This, again, is a, a group of um, five, six of us extension pathologists that um, – got together and uh, put together this crop protection network, or at least took the lead on it, because um, there's over 30, 40 different uh, pathologists, agronomists also involved in this uh, network where we started off on soybeans and, and trying to um, update all the information in terms of the various different uh, soybean diseases and issues, trying to anticipate um, not only the problems that we have now, but um, what's going on and what what, what are some of the new invasives or the new diseases we're starting to, to, to build up? We've now switched that and increased and included corn in that, a number of different uh, resources on ear molds and leaf diseases and dawn and mycotoxins and that. And now we're also um, a part of an, an editor and uh, author on um, the a week publications for Crop Protection Network. So we have a, a great series, and GFO um, has copies of these, and they're available through the OMAFRA office in Ridgetown or even with the GFO in Guelph there. Uh, these uh, series of field uh, farmer guides to diseases for corn, soybeans, and we are working on a wheat one too. And that. So there's a number of those cooperative um, 
projects there or resources. We have the websites, um, you know, the SCN Coalition, the Crop Protection Network.org. We have Field Crop News, the OMAFRA piece there, where a lot of the, our extension staff is, is putting uh, uh, information and, and pieces, relevant information and pieces, up to date um, information for, for producers and, and retailers and consultants and that to use, utilize uh, right away. We've got our publications as well. Um, you know, the agronomy guide at Pub 11, 8, 8 11, and uh, just uh, I'm editor of the field crop protection guide, which is our, our disease and insect uh, management um, product guide and uh, Pub 812 that just came out and is available as well. And you've got um, my Cobra's taking the lead on, uh, you know, Pub 75A um, for field crop um, uh, weed management um, with that, as well as a uh, number of other um, resources. And you're going to start seeing some of these new, the new, st- the new, I guess, the new technology on this will be um, some of the, not only the websites, but some of the models that are, are becoming available out there. You know, Mike Cobra, our weed specialist, has uh, been a lead on, on the pest manager app, and that is a, a new um, software package or an app for your phone, um, your, your tablets, etc., that can help you uh, um, not only identify diseases, insects, and weeds, but also link into, you know, 812 or Pub75 um, management options for diseases like that. Um, a new one for white mold, I mentioned earlier, working, uh, you know, linked in with other groups and other researchers and extension people. Um, the Sporecast is a great example. It's a white mold risk model that was developed through uh, Dr. Uh, Damon Smith's work, mostly out of the University of Wisconsin, uh, Martin Chilvers um, out of University of Michigan State University as well, and we've been field validating it in Ontario, and it's using both weather as well as the biology of the, of the fungus, the white mold fungus, in terms of when it produces its spores of apothecia and that. So you take both the weather and the fungus itself and, and develop a, a risk for individual fields. So growers um, can put in their individual fields, pin them in there, and look at the risk, whether it's a green, yellow, or red, you know, red being high risk. And you can better time, say, a fungicide application because that's always been one of our concerns there in terms of white mold is when to, to apply a fungicide and whether it's a one versus two um, application depending on, on potential risk and that. So, you know, this will make it more efficient, better timing for for fungicides and, and that or, or not if it's under low risk and then, then not to. And so ultimately the, the goal is to for better disease management and saving producers dollars as well. So there's all kinds of things traditional to new tools available and more are, are being developed as well. And uh, we see that you share lots of great information on Twitter. Um, and as an extension specialist, how has social media changed your position throughout the years? It is a good thing. <laughs> sometimes it's not such a good thing because you're basically available 24 seven and most of us are anyway. And, um, whether my work is better or not. But uh, we are available 24-7 in many cases. And Twitter and social media has um, allowed us to get our information out there quicker, faster, and a bigger scope 
um, as well, and not not just into into uh, you know Ontario, but other provinces and into the U.S. as well. Um, it, but it, at the but I think more importantly, it's also provided us an opportunity to get a lot more feedback. And uh, not only are we seeing a lot of what's going on in real time, you know, if there's a there's a hail event or or something adverse weather event or something within minutes it's up there and you you know about it and you can you can put in your response or or deal with it quite quickly and i think that is one of the uh, uh the most important things with whether twitter or or other social media um options out there is that you've got more eyes in the field more eyes in the field the better because that allows you to uh, to be on top of things and allows you to to respond quicker to it. And also, it, it can help you evaluate whether there's a, a trend occurring and and get into um, things that are starting to develop on uh, as they're developing, as opposed to maybe responding when it's too late. So I think we can initiate uh, management uh, strategies and control of p- potential problems a lot quicker now which again uh, means that we can um, maintain or, or reduce the economic impacts of many of these problems and that um, earlier than later. And ultimately, again, it's, it's helping save, save dollars because you know, things change. As I said, it's uh, um, change, the pathogens um, change over time and uh, what we're seeing are just uh, adaptations to to, to how we've been managing things, and, and social media will allow us to respond to that. You know, what we're seeing in the disease side, very similar to what uh, we've experienced over the past, you know, decade or two in terms of uh, herbicides and, and weed resistance to, um, to herbicide resistance. And uh, same thing that's occurring there is, 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 is occurring now in, in terms of uh, field crops as well. So, Albert, if some of our farmer members want to reach out to you and they don't already know, what is your Twitter handle and uh, how can they contact you by phone? Yeah, so on the, on the Twitter side, um, pretty easy. It's, you know, the, the at Albert Tenuta, all one word, so A-L-B-E-R-T-T-E-N-U-T-A. And um, by phone, we're always available on um, 519 674 1617 again 519 674 1617 and um, you know going back to that whole social media and and access and that and you know it's amazing how um, great growers and industry are at, at getting information out there to us and in social media I know with all my OMAFRA colleagues and that the number of pictures and questions and all that stuff, whether it is through social media, direct messaging, through emails, all of these uh, resources, um, social media uh, options there have been really good at uh, getting that information to us and, and helping us uh, assist assist them in their fight against uh, the never-ending battle against uh, diseases or, or pests in general and that. So, um we welcome all those, and we thank you for all the, the, the help over the years. Well, thank you, Albert, for uh, everything you do and for joining us today on our Grain Talk podcast all the way from New Mexico. I, I know it was uh, challenging setting up a time to chat, so thank you so much for uh, talking with us today. 
I appreciate the opportunity and, and thank you again and uh, all the best to everybody. Coming up next on the Grain Talk podcast, we have an update from our CEO, Barry Senth. We are joined today by Barry Senth, the CEO at Grain Farmers of Ontario, and he's calling from his farm in Saskatchewan today. And we've there's recently a FPT ministers meeting. Uh, Barry, can you tell us a bit more about what happened there? Well, we sure can, Megan. Uh, one of the big issues uh, discussed at the meeting was the business risk management um, process that's been going on. We've uh, we've had a uh, committee that's a national committee looking at uh, at what we have in place and um, and making recommendations to the FPT. Uh, the recommendations of the uh, of the committee were that um, this issue needs to be uh, uh, continued to be looked at. Uh, that uh, the suite of programs that are in place are not hitting the mark as far as um, uh, farmers are concerned and that we need to revisit that suite of programs uh, and adjust accordingly. A lot of these programs were designed when farms and farmers uh, were a lot different than what they are today. And uh, basically what we need is a modernization of those, uh, of those programs uh, to keep up to what's uh, the changes that have occurred in farming. If you imagine what's changed in farming over the 10 years uh, past compared to how our, uh, our programs have pretty well stayed the same, it doesn't uh, take much to understand that, uh, that we've got to change accordingly. So uh, business risk management was a big topic of discussion. Trade, of course, uh, was another uh, area of discussion uh, given everything that's going on with, uh, in our discussions with NAFTA. So um, those were two important issues discussed at that meeting. Barry, the um, conversations that we had with Ernie Hardiman ahead of the meeting, is that an indication of how we hope that we're going to have relations with the new provincial government here? The CEO update in the August magazine, which is going to be in mailboxes next week, we talk about turning the page and working with this new government. So are we off to a good start? I Yes, I believe we are, and especially with uh, Minister Hardiman. Um, the minister's got uh, past experience in this role, so uh, uh, shortly after being appointed uh, uh, to the minister's role, having to go into an FPT meeting was a lot more reassuring with the experience that the minister uh, has, both in uh, in his past role as minister and as critic uh, uh, through this past number of years of agriculture. So, um, you know, Minister Hardiman has uh, the experience, has the knowledge of the issues that uh, that were being discussed at the meeting. So, uh, yes, he had a uh, a briefing meeting by all the committees or all the commodity organizations before that, leading into into that FPT meeting. So, yes, it has started on a positive note. Now, one of the issues of concerns this week that we're also talking about is President Trump in the U.S. has announced a $12 billion support for farmers impacted by tariffs that uh, he's imposed with with the trade war with China that's sort of underway right now, and that's impacting soybean prices. What's sort of the impact on the Ontario farmers? Well, it's uh, prices are uh, the big issue, and uh, you know there was rumors, uh, there was indication by the U.S. government by the uh, by Trump that he was going to uh, uh, assist farmers uh, through this uh, trade discussion, and uh, that was uh, that was uh, formalized uh, earlier this week with the announcement of $12 billion towards uh, uh, all commodities that are being affected by uh, by trade. Again, when this first came to light back a number of weeks ago, 
uh, our chair, Marcus Hurl, uh, sent off a letter to uh, both ministers of agriculture and of trade, just indicating to them that um, that they better start thinking about a contingency plan for this, because uh, by the sounds of it, we could be in a long haul on this uh, on this issue, and the federal government needed to think about how they were going to protect uh, our farmers uh, in a similar situation that the U.S. farmers are being compensated for. Um, it's not only the U.S. farmers that are facing uh, uh, depressed prices because uh, of, uh, of these tariffs uh, that, uh, that have slopped over to uh, Canadian farmers and has resulted in some uh, price declines over the last month or so. So we, we even indicated to government already that they need to be thinking about a, uh, a plan to deal with this uh, for, uh, for agriculture in Canada. And Barry, another thing that we've been talking a little bit about is our weather conditions have been very dry over the last uh, couple of weeks. And recently we've been getting a little bit more rain. Can you just comment on uh, how the weather um, has been uh, impacting farmers across the province? Yes, it, uh, as you mentioned, it has been very dry, and along with being dry, it's been uh, it's been hot. So that coupled for a uh, for not a very good growing environment uh, over the past week, we've seen. Um, and there's still some localized areas that are not getting the rains, but uh, more so it is uh, the rains have been a little more general than they have in the uh, past month, to the extent that I think Ottawa. Uh, you know the old adage of when it rains it pours is really uh, applicable in this uh, issue is that I think Ottawa is approaching five inches of rain in the last uh, four or five days so um, but as far as it's concerned is the the rain is uh, is welcomed and uh, hopefully it uh, it helps out in a lot of those uh, crops. Great Barry thank you uh, for joining us today on the podcast with an update on what's been going on uh, in the CEO's office. Thank you, guys. If you have a question for Barry Senth that you would like him to answer on an upcoming podcast, send an email to graintalk at gfo.ca. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash graintalk. A special thank you to our guests today, Albert Tenuta and Barry Senth. Also, a thank you to our producer, Mark Carter. If you like what you've heard today, please rate, subscribe, and review. You can find us on Apple iTunes and Google Play.